Should a baby who has been born alive, living and breathing outside the mother's womb after a failed abortion attempt, receive the medical care he or she needs to live? It's a hot topic in Congress, and we'll discuss that next. From the nation's capital, this is Use Your Voice with Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Use Your Voice. As you can probably tell, I'm not your usual voice. Your host, Penny Nance, the CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, couldn't be with us today. She'll be back again with you next time, so be sure to tune in to the next episode of this show. I'm Doreen Denny, Senior Director of Government Relations. I'm pleased to be with you here today as we talk about an issue captivating our country, late-term abortion and infanticide. It's front and center in the debate in Congress right now over legislation called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Now, legislation is my wheelhouse for CWA, so I'm excited to be able to be here and to share with you how you can join the fight to end infanticide. You know, I wish there was an easier way or another way to describe the tragedy that's happening in states like New York and Virginia, but sadly, this is exactly what we're dealing with. New York passed a late-term abortion law that has removed any protections for babies that are born alive, allowing abortionists to practice like Kermit Gosnell. In Virginia, state legislator Kathy Tran proposed as radical a proposal that allows for killing a newborn. Governor Northam backed her up and justified this practice on live radio. If a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, The infant would be delivered, uh, the infant would be kept comfortable, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers. Haunting words about making the child comfortable and a discussion would ensue. So Congress is trying to address this problem, and a lot is happening. Let me play for you this clip that compiles some of the voices that we've been hearing here in our nation's capital, and then we'll discuss more in detail after. You will hear from the main sponsors of the legislation, Senator Ben Sass and Representative Ann Wagner, Steve Scalise, the congressman who filed the discharge petition, as well as Senator Tim Scott, Senator Deb Fisher, Representatives Vicki Hartzler, and Jackie Wulorski. It horrified and angered people across the country when the governor of Virginia went on a radio station and described in detail how a baby born alive can still be killed. I never thought the time would come when I would have to actually argue and fight and debate and stand for providing health care to infants after they are born. Let's be clear what we're talking about. We're talking about killing a baby that's been born. If this doesn't turn your stomach, America, I don't know what does. Alive, separated from her mother. And that there would be a question of whether or not that child should be able to continue to live. Simply put, if a baby survives an abortion, he or she deserves the same medical care as any other child who is born prematurely. Just as the science is undeniable, it should be unthinkable to deny life-saving care to a newborn baby. Unthinkable. I cannot imagine whether you are pro-life as I am or pro-choice like others, that this would be even an issue of debate or discussion within the two sides. Again, pro-life, pro-choice, wherever you are on this issue, the vast majority of Americans 
feel strongly that you should not be able to kill the baby after it's born alive. I am sickened that laws are being written which allow for a baby who survives an abortion attempt to no longer receive support and care once they are born. This should be so far beyond any political consideration. We're talking about a little baby, a baby with dignity, an image bearer. We're talking about a tiny life that has done nothing wrong to warrant being left to die cold and alone on the table. A newborn child should never be treated without basic human rights or the full protection of our laws. And that we could be celebrating this in parts of the country is just not only tragic, it's barbaric, and it has to be stopped. If we don't send a strong message that every baby has been endowed by its creator with inalienable rights, that we are not defending the fundamental principles of the Constitution, if we don't protect these children from harm, we're abandoning the basic truth of our humanity. Well, you can hear that the members of Congress that you've just heard are really fired up about this. Friends, Scripture tells us that there is a time for everything. And as you heard, this is the time to fight for life. Here's what's happening. Last month, the U.S. Senate voted on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. And although it had the support of a majority of senators, it was not enough to clear the 60-vote hurdle that was required to stop debate and proceed to a vote. Forty-four senators, unfortunately, voted against protections of newborn babies born alive after an abortion. That is just unconscionable. So after the Senate failed to pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, the House got busy, and members there immediately called for a bill to be brought to the floor for a vote. Of course, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are blocking these attempts, Every single day for the last 30 days, members have gone to the floor, made a plea for this bill to come up under unanimous consent, and every single day they've been shut down. They filed a discharge petition that required 30 days before it could actually go into effect. It's just one of those House procedural rules. So we've hit that mark right now, and recently this discharge petition was filed. It was with a lot of fanfare and a big press conference. We'll talk more about that later. But what I want you to know is that 198 members have signed that discharge petition, but we need 218 members in order to force a vote. That's what we're aiming for. Concerned Women for America is in this fight, and we've been busy. We were just at the March for Life in Virginia, where some 7,000 Americans showed up to say no to infanticide and to tell Governor Northam to stop allowing for late-term abortions that would allow for a newborn baby to be killed. This was in the middle of the work week, 7,000 people on the steps of the Capitol in Richmond, Virginia. We're sending a powerful message to Congress as well. The announcement of this discharge petition included many members of Congress, very powerful voices exposing the reality of, of abortion. In addition, there were OBGYNs, there were survivors of abortion. I want to play you some of the clips from that press conference, but first we have to take a break and we'll be right back. Hey ladies, you're smart, passionate, and savvy. You care about your family and you care about our nation. That's why you should join Concerned Women for America. I'm Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America, and I pray you will visit ConcernedWomen.org to learn how you can add your voice to the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. That's ConcernedWomen.org. 
Welcome back. Doreen Denny is here, Senior Director of Government Relations for Concerned Women for America. I'm guest hosting for Penny Nance, our CEO and President. We've been talking about the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act and the efforts in our nation's capital to end infanticide. Recently, we had the press conference, which I discussed right before the break. And one of the most empowerful voices at that press conference was Melissa Odom, herself an abortion survivor. She is living testimony to the reality that children are born alive after failed abortion attempts and their lives are worth living. Here's what she had to say. I just want to thank all of the members here today for your incredible leadership. Of course, Representative Wagner from my home state of Missouri. Missouri strong. Missouri strong. You know, I've heard that argument so many times in the last couple of months is, you know, is the Born Alive Act even necessary? Of course, we know that it's necessary when we see aggressive abortion legislation being swept across our nation. But of course, I also know that this is important and necessary because I am one of the children who deserve to be protected by the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. In August of 1977, my biological mother as a 19-year-old college student had a saline infusion abortion forced upon her against her will. That type of procedure involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in the womb. The intent of that toxic salt solution was to poison and scald me to death from the outside in. Typically, the procedure lasted about 72 hours, but my medical records that actually document the abortion that I survived indicate that I soaked in that toxic salt solution for five days, five days before I was ultimately born alive accidentally. I was not expected to be born alive that day. And I wish I could tell you that when I was born alive, everyone saw my humanity and immediately provided me medical care. But I can tell you this is not how it usually happens. My adoptive parents were told years ago that I was laid aside there at the hospital. Those words were expanded on just a few years ago when a nurse contacted me directly. She was working in the neonatal intensive care unit that day at St. Luke's Hospital in Sioux City, Iowa. She said, I'll never forget it. The door came flying open and this tall blonde nurse rushed you in. She shouted, I'll clean up the language a little bit. She shouted, that darn Dr. Kelberg messed up. That was my abortionist. But she went on and said, she just kept gasping for breath. She just kept gasping for breath and so I couldn't just leave her there to die. That nurse did something incredible that day, something that so many people now think is unthinkable, to provide me medical care. My life never should have been left in the hands of my abortionist that day. My life never should have been left to the luck of the draw who was working that day at the hospital. I am so blessed to be alive, to have survived, but that day I was one of the lucky ones. I am here today with two other abortion survivors, Claire Colwell, who is a twin abortion survivor, and Gianna Jessen, who survived also a saline infusion abortion. Give them a round of applause. But we are not alone in this. I work with abortion survivors through the Abortion Survivors Network. At this point, we've had contact with 281 abortion survivors. Most survivors will not share their story publicly with the world because this is what we are facing in our country, right? 
People are saying we don't exist or we're irrelevant or we don't deserve medical care or we don't deserve protection under the law. And so I'm here today to stand alongside members of Congress to say, give us the basic dignity we deserve. Give us health care. It is a right. We fought for our lives in the womb. Do not make us fight for our lives once again when we're born alive. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. So there you have Melissa Odom's powerful testimony. You know, it was such a privilege to be with her in the chamber of the House of Representatives as the members of Congress came, filed in and started signing that petition one by one. It was really a powerful moment. And, you know, in a single day, 191 members of Congress that first day signed the petition. That's the most of any discharge petition in the House for over 22 years. You know, she is a miracle of humanity. God had a purpose for her life, clearly, to have her survive um, against odds that should never have been the case. And what she is representing and voicing now in creating this network for other abortion survivors to speak out is so very vital. Now we're going to move on to another very moving testimony from a nurse who was present to comfort a child after a failed abortion attempt. Now I turn it over to Jill Standing. When I heard Governor Northam, a pediatric neurologist, describe during that interview was mentioned so many times today, the process by which doctors determined to shelve unwanted babies to die, it became painfully close to me as an issue. He said, and I'm quoting, if a mother's in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered, the infant would be made comfortable, the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. Governor Northam was right. That is exactly what happens. I know because I cared for a dying infant who was on the other side of that decision. My experience was 20 years ago, but as Governor Northam made clear, it could have and probably did happen only yesterday. I was a registered nurse at Christ Hospital in Illinois when I discovered the hospital was involved in late-term abortions and sometimes babies survived their abortions and if they survived they were shelved to die in the hospital's soiled utility room. One night a nursing co-worker was taking an abortion survivor to the soiled utility room to die and when she told me what she was doing I couldn't bear the thought of this suffering child dying alone and so I cradled and rocked him for the 45 minutes that he lived. He was between 21 and 22 weeks old. He was about the size of my hand and he didn't move very much because he was using all of his energy attempting to breathe. And I remember toward the end of his life I couldn't tell if he was alive or not unless I held him up against the light to see if I could see his heart beating through his chest wall because their skin is so thin at that age. And after he was pronounced dead, we folded his little arms across his chest. I tied them together with a little string. I wrapped him in a shroud and I took him to the morgue where we took all of our dead patients. The word comfortable, which Governor Northam used, is particularly grating. How far will doctors go to comfort themselves for letting abortion survivors die, for abandoning them? After I went public, the hospital created the comfort room 
So no longer could nurses take babies to the soiled utility room to die. They now took them to the comfort room. There's nothing comforting about abandoning a little baby to die. Clearly, little abortion survivors desperately need Congress to pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act to provide them with legal medical protection and not leave open the decision whether they live or die. You know, those voices that you just heard from those women who were at our press conference are ones that you won't usually hear. The media is not going to play them for you. You're not going to hear them firsthand. And I hope that you've learned something today from that. And I hope also that you realize how proud we are of all the members who have Congress who are standing for life in our nation's capital. They have really spoken out boldly against a tide that is going across our country with the abortion lobby to, uh, to silence them. And we need your help. We need you in this fight. We need to get to 218 votes to even have a vote on the floor against infanticide. It's unbelievable that we're at this point, but we believe it's possible. You know, 82% of Americans have said that they support this bill, that they support giving children who are born alive from attempted abortion life-giving care. And 77% of those Americans identified themselves as pro-choice. That's unbelievable that the Democrats would turn their back on that kind of vast majority support across our country. So we need your help. We need you to call or write your member of Congress, ask them to sign the discharge petition for the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Every single signature on there represents someone who supports an end to infanticide. And we're counting. You know what? We're 198 right now, and we've got to get to 218. We can do this, but we need your help. I want to end this episode today by putting this issue into perspective once again with the testimony as given on the floor of the House of Representatives by Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler from Washington's 3rd Congressional District. She has a powerful story of her own. Thank you. It is a privilege to get to be here on this floor and I get to share my story. You know, in mid-2013, my husband Dan and I went in for our 20-week ultrasound as excited first-time parents. We were not prepared for what we were told. Uh, We were told our unborn baby had a 0% chance at survival. There were no kidneys. It was a condition called bilateral renal agenesis or Potter's syndrome. And as a result, our baby would either miscarry or be born unable to breathe because her lungs wouldn't develop. She would literally suffocate upon arrival if we brought her to term. I, of course, was encouraged um, from physicians to uh, abort my baby. And while there are many reasons that lead women to make that decision, Dr. Jennifer Gunter, who's a women's health advocate, asserts that, quote, terminations after 24 weeks are for severe fetal anomalies. Now, our baby's diagnosis wasn't just severe. It was without any glimmer of hope. And being told that that wriggling, um, alive, kicking child in your stomach will certainly die, it doesn't just take the breath out of your lungs. It's like hell screaming in your face and it leaves fear. Miraculously, our doctors were wrong. We pushed forward with that pregnancy and were successful. We'd seen something happen that had never happened before. Um, My baby developed lungs in utero without kidneys. 
It was an impossible outcome to the medical world at that time. You know, in good faith, our doctors had given us their honest professional opinions. But guess what? Doctors aren't infallible. Well, we wouldn't have known this if we hadn't tried to overcome this diagnosis. And through divine intervention and some amazing doctors who were willing to charter new waters, literally, <laughs> we now get to experience our daughter, Abigail, who's holding the Bible for the swearing in here, standing next to me and Speaker Pelosi. Um, a, health, a healthy, happy five-year-old who has, uh, she's a big sister, and she says someday she's gonna be the boss of mommy's work. Look out, Speaker Pelosi. So since our story became public, I've talked to moms all over the world who, like me, carry their babies into the second and third trimesters hoping to deliver and then are given devastating diagnoses. But what if the doctor is wrong about their babies too? Abigail was the first to survive her condition, but because of her breakthrough, she's not the only survivor now. Radical legislation in New York and Virginia have recently brought late-term or partial birth abortion into the spotlight. But what if we use this discussion to go on the offensive against the potential disease instead of attacking the pregnancy itself? Some parents have been presented with scary prenatal tests that can produce false alarms. These same earnest, loving, would-be parents have made permanent decisions based on what could be incorrect information. What if the baby won't have that significant health condition or disability after all, or even if she does? What about the loving families eager to raise a child in anticipation of her living a full and fulfilling life? We got to hear Frank Stevens, an exceptionally joy-filled disability champion with Down syndrome, describe at a congressional hearing how he is, quote, a medical gift to society and that his extra chromosome might lead to the answer for Alzheimer's. Science bears this out. Our society ce celebrates the term diversity. Shouldn't that mean full diversity, which includes all physical and mental abilities or disabilities as some call? We step onto very shaky ground and we start deciding who lives or dies based on one's abilities or possibly lack thereof in utero. Because despite our best intentions or the best intentions of the messenger, doctor or otherwise, there is a limit to what science can predict. And that's not naivete speaking. That's coming from a mom of a child who was given a 0% chance of survival based on what was, at the time, sound science. Excuse me. Now, this kiddo has a full adult life ahead of her. Gosh, and those of us who know her are privileged, immeasurably. And you know what? Every single child, regardless of their ability, has that same potential if we'll only give them that chance. I, I believe that care and understanding and compassion are needed at every stage of a woman's maternal journey. But to me, that means empowering mothers to dwell in the realm of the possible, not the impossible, even if it's never been tried before. Wow, what an amazing and moving testimony from this congresswoman. And you know, the amazing thing is that just the other day when they were starting to sign the discharge petition, I was in the House gallery and there she was on the floor, pregnant, 
She is, yes, it's expecting her third child and what a joy it is. So this this issue is just not personal and passionate for her, but she's also just a demonstration to the rest of the Congress about what it means to be a, bearing the life of a newborn child. So we salute you, Jamie Herrera Butler, and all of the members of Congress who are standing for life for they're standing against infanticide, and we are working with them, and we hope that you will join us in this effort. With that, we have to end this episode. That's all the time we have, but I hope you feel the urgency of the moment that we've just been hearing about, and I hope you consider adding your voice to the thousands of supporters of Concerned Women for America who are making difference for life. If you want to get involved, visit our website at concernedwomen.org. It's been an honor to guest host for you today. Again, I'm Doreen Denny, CWA's Senior Director of Government Relations. Penny will be back for our next show. But until then, be sure to use your voice. Thanks for listening. Use Your Voice is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.